Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapter six of his categories, Aristotle is now going to treat what we're translating as quantity. The Greek for that is toposon, and this can be used in an interrogative way to ask, well, how much or how many or how long? All these sort of quantitative terms, quantitative concepts that we have of things. This is the first of the categories after substance that Aristotle will treat, and we have to be a little bit careful not to equate it immediately with everything that we associate with the quantitative, because as we're going to see, Aristotle is going to say, no, no, some of that actually is a matter of relation, the prosti. There's some other respects in which we want to keep this clear, but we'll see that as we go through the chapter. So what is quantity? When we're predicating something in the category of quantity, we are saying how much or how long or some other number related term of it. And Aristotle will start at the beginning by talking about some of these being discrete and some of these being continuous. So that's a, an important way to separate some of these types of quantity or ways in which we use quantity out. One of these on the discrete side, and we'll see why it's discrete in just a little while, is number itself or arithmos in, in Greek, the word that we get arithmetic from, right? Literally the learning of numbers. But then he also says speech. And here he uses the term logos, which can mean a lot of different things, but then he clarifies later on that what he's talking about is the logos that is associated with phone. Phone is coming from the word speaking, and so it has to do with the kind of logos that, ha that has to do with speech, talking, right? And why would he talk about speech itself as being quantitative? He says, well, you do a word count or something like that. He doesn't actually have that in mind. What he has in mind is something that we're not really used to thinking about, but we could could import into our own language. In ancient Greek and also in ancient Latin poetry, syllables of words were classified as long or short. And you could have a meter based on the lengths of syllables. As a matter of fact, what made things poetic was not rhyming at the end, as it is in English or in French or things like that, but in particular, the meter. That, that still has some effect in English and French and other poetry. But for the ancient Greeks, that was really what made it poetic. So when you hear about iambic pentameter, or those sorts of things, the meter that's being talked about there, that's part of the number. And why is this discrete? Well, we're going to get to that, but, but a very short forecast. Of, well, each syllable is its own thing. Each syllable is independent of the other, sort of like numbers are independent of each other. Then we have quantity in another sense where it's continuous. And Aristotle will talk about continuous quantity 
as having some sort of connection between the parts. There is a limit that, that divides them apart from each other. So for example, he talks about a line, right? He says, here we discover that limit of which we have now just been speaking. There's no limit between the syllables, but there is between parts of a line. What is the limit? A point on the line. So it is with a plane, right? Plane is a two-dimensional figure composed of lines. The line is the limit between them. So with a solid or a body, right? A soma, you know, we can talk then about planes. And so Aristotle is using some, some ideas from geometry here to talk about continuous quantity. It says their parts have a limit, a line in the case of the plane, a line or plane in the, in the case of the body. And then he also suggests we can think about time and space as being continuous quantity as well. He's going to backpedal a little bit on time, and we're going to talk about this as a separate topic in a different video, but space is certainly continuous in this respect, much the way that solids are. If we imagine, and this is not, I'm not suggesting that we do this and hold that this is an adequate physical representation of, of all space, but we can think of space as, as a three-dimensional solid, if we like, just one that things can move around in, or, you know, if you like a three-dimensional void, right? Its parts are continuous with each other. So two different ways of thinking about quantity discrete. Each of the parts are separate from each other, or they don't necessarily imply each other in the way that they do with continuous. So let's, let's go back and look very quickly at, you know, what he says about number. It says, consider the parts of a number. You'll find there's no common limit at which they join or unite. So two fives make 10, but these two fives are wholly distinct from each other. There's no common limit. There's no like, you know, little joining place between the two fives. Although perhaps we might picture that to ourselves in our head when we're first learning arithmetic, right? We're putting blocks together, something like that. Then it's actually physical objects that we're putting together to represent the numbers that are really the main issue there, right? So he says there's no common limit. The same would be the, you know, with the parts three and seven. In the case of all numbers, you will never find such a boundary common to any two parts for the parts remain ever distinct from each other. And he says this also about speech, meaning the syllables. Now, you know, this goes against a good bit of what we now know from modern linguistics. So you probably would want to put this aside. When we talk about that, we're thinking less in terms of like the length of syllables and more in terms of the phonemes that we are using. But that's sort of a, a separate topic. In any case, you should be able to see the distinction here that he's making. Along with that, of course, quantities are made up of parts. That is in part how we can number them or measure them or say it's this much or that much or anything along those, those lines. So that is one really important way of characterizing what it is for something to be predicated in, in the category of quantity. I put over here something that comes up towards the end of the chapter, but I think is very helpful for understanding the other stuff that Aristotle discusses at considerable length. Characteristic, idion in the Greek, the thing that's specific to quantity is that it deals with equality, to ison and inequality to anison. Aristotle is going to specify that this does not mean likeness, like two things being similar in that they are both white, like these pieces of chalk, right? 
Or I suppose there might be, no, there's no blue that corresponds to the blue of this shirt, but just imagine that there was, then we would have likeness. Equality is something, a bit of a stronger relation. And Aristotle is saying that what we're predicating has to do with things being equal or unequal and not a number of other things that we do tend to associate with number. And which they did also in Aristotle's time. He brings this up in terms of contraries. So contraries are things like, you know, black, white, good, bad, hot, cold. Also, to a certain extent, true and false are contraries to each other, although that's a little bit complex. And Aristotle is going to say, well, let's consider the sorts of things that somebody might say. Quantities don't have contraries, right? Why not? So he says, this will be perfectly clear in the case of all definite quantities, whereby I mean, for example, two cubits or three cubits long or a surface or something of that sort. These, he says, have no contraries. Three doesn't have a contrary in at least the mathematics as, as Aristotle is considering it, or in terms of quantity itself, right? Now we might say, well, what about negative numbers? We have negative three and okay, that's a possible valid objection, but it's not something that Aristotle is considering at the time. Perhaps if we do want to think along those lines, we would say, well, that's not quite the sort of contrariness that he has in mind. So he says, but somebody might say, reasonable objection here, what about great and small, polu and oligon. Those could also be translated as many and few, right? Or much and little, mega and micron. I could also say big and little, right? Aren't those contraries? So here's where Aristotle says a few interesting things that we want to keep distinct from each other. One is that these are not actually contraries in a proper sense. So he says, these are more properly regarded as terms of relation as such, things are not great or small. You can say that something is great or small in relation to something else, right? So for example, my body, I'm a big guy. I'm like six foot three, right? So that makes me fairly big among human beings. Does that make me big among mammals in general? No, because we have elephants and hippopotami and blue whales and things along those lines, right? And I'm pretty small in comparison to those. So greatness and smallness are not something that's in me, irrespective of a context, the way that, for example, we could say heat or cold or goodness or badness or, or these other things that we consider to be contraries are, right? So so he says, you know, for example, a person can be sick or healthy, a thing black and white, neither can anything be at the same time thus qualified, but we can say that something is both great and small at the same time, or that it's many and also few at the same time. So these are not really contraries to begin with. And you can say, well, okay, that, that's fine. So that shows that number doesn't have contraries, but number at least does have these, right? It can be great or small or much or little. This is where it gets very interesting. So he says, these are not the sorts of things that actually apply to number. Why not? Because they are relational terms and they're not really quantity. They are terms that are using 
something like quantity in the way that they're describing the relation, but they're not quantity itself. We come back to this thing and number is what it is and other numbers are not equal to it. And the fact that they could be greater or lesser, that's a relation between them. So that's important. He'll also go on and discuss another very similar concept we could say, the more and the less, the malon and hechon. And we can talk, for example, about whiteness, right? This chalk is whiter than this paper is. And although we describe my face as white, my face is not really white either in comparison to those. So any whiteness that it has is much less white. It's less and something else is more. And he says that quantities don't have this. Now that's a very paradoxical thing to say, isn't it? That quantities do not have a greater and a lesser. So he says, think about two cubits long. This does not admit of gradations. A thing is not two cubits long in a greater degree than another. And then he says the same thing holds of numbers. One three is not, so to speak, three in a greater degree than another. One five is not five in a greater degree than another. And he says one period of time as well is not more time than another. And he says, nor of any other quantity can a more or less be affirmed. So the category of quantity does not admit of degrees. Instead, what it admits of is this equality and inequality. And then if you like, you know, something like sequence. So we can say that three is a larger number than two. Like when we're counting, we count three after we count two. And here Aristotle is actually anticipating some interesting things that will come up in number theory much later on. And think about how we actually define number. Aristotle considers number to be sort of the paradigmatic example of quantity, but it's one type of quantity. So hopefully this is a useful introduction to this whole category of quantity. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.